All right. Well, welcome back to the show this week on The Big Ticket Life. I'm very excited to have uh, Kendra Pink here from the Pink Noise Project. And uh, I want to jump right in because I asked her in the pre-show, explain how you chose your company name. First of all, I love when companies get to have like three letters in their website domain because like those days are, are gone. So her site, pmp.works, you can connect with her there. By the way, if you want a, an, an example of how to write really good bios and descriptions of what your team does and how they help, her her bios are really great. So um, just a little shout out right there. But um, Kendra, welcome to the show. Hey, Beth. Thanks for having me and the accolades. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So um, so why don't you share with everybody uh, listening, because there's a little lesson here in how you chose the name of your company. I think we can begin our conversation around it. How did you choose to name your company the Pink Noise Project? It's a great question. Um, and honestly, I don't get asked it very frequently. So I appreciate really? you being in. Um, so everybody's familiar yeah. with white noise. Um, it's the thing that we listen to to help us go to sleep at night because it helps everything blend in. And it really, um, it mutes everything around us. Um, so pink noise is actually also a frequency very similar to white noise, but it's different in that pink noise is a frequency that is of signal rather than of blending in or making it, it become muted or, or undiscernible. Uh, so pink noise is about discerning the difference between the signal, the important things, measuring what matters, and the non-important things, the noise. Um, so pink noise projects is, is all about looking at the things that matter, pointing your, your focus there. Um, and forgetting about the rest. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, it really kind of frames, I think, our next little part of our, our time to, to today. Do you think it's fair that many, I'm not going to say all, I try not to say words like all and everybody because that lumps everyone into one pot, right? So I always try to say some. I think it's a really good way to have conversation with people too is just a little aside. Um but uh, you might be able to get your point across differently, you know, because maybe the person you're saying that to doesn't agree. But I think some companies really get focused. They're, they're not focused on that signal. They pay attention to the noise and they end up blending in. So what are some ways? I mean, you're, you're doing a lot of things, things that I don't quite understand. Um, like, I don't know what Docker is, but apparently that's a big thing. And like, you're the go, one of the go-to people for it. Um, so maybe we'll touch on that, but you don't strike me as the typical tech stack, techie company person, right? But, um, so why don't you talk about the value of paying attention to the signal and running away from the noise? Yeah. Uh, well, Jeff, it's really about, um, being able to understand and identify the one thing um, that is your differentiator. So when you're saying, Hey, some companies really, they, they have a hard time standing out. They look like everything else. We oftentimes benchmark ourselves against, Hey, the guy down the street, that company is doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try that. You know, they put a sign out on their, their store. I'm going to do that as well. And I think that when you tap into the core, the values of what your organization really exemplifies and lives for, and you understand how to communicate those values in a way that is authentic and true to yourself, then you're going to be connecting with the right partners. You're going to be connecting with the right customers. You're going to be connecting with the right clients 
that is going to be bringing you abundance. You know, it's a great partnership that everyone grows from. Everybody is going to be able to benefit from. Um, and it is a different mindset. It's, it's different than the scarcity model where if you get something, I'm going to get less, you know, this idea of like right. a pie where if you have a piece, then there's fewer pieces for me. Right. Right. Yeah. That scarcity mindset, um, goes right in the face of what we're doing today with our money supply. We just print endless amounts of money. So it's really easy to have an abundance mindset when you just consider that there's, and even if we weren't, there is a ton of opportunity out there for all of us. You touched on something that sparked a, a memory in my mind about chasing what the competition is doing down the street. And maybe, maybe you're down the street is online. Maybe you're down the street is across the wall, right? We live in that kind of a, a society today. Um, one of the, one of the businesses that I'm in and that I own is, uh, the mattress industry. And there was a time. This goes back maybe 10 years now already, maybe, maybe even more. Um, there was a large regional chain in the Northeast called Sleepies. And their advertising, their print advertising was what some might call ugly, right? It was dark backgrounds and pictures. And if there was a free square inch of space, they shoved a picture of a headboard in there or a coupon. And they did this for years. And they grew. And then one day, their ads looked very pretty. A lot of white space, fashionable, super professional. You could tell they spent money on photography for themselves because it wasn't the same old vendor images that everybody else had. No one asked the question why. Everyone just did what they did. So they mirrored them with the ugly advertising, let's say. And then when they pivoted left, Everybody went left with them and went to the pretty advertising. The reason they did that was because they were preparing themselves for a big equity investment. So, you know, and when you go into those equity investments, those, 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 uh, roundups on Wall Street, right? You, you clean up a lot of stuff. You cut, you cut labor costs. No one asked that question. Why? And. I think that's something people lose sight of when they look at their competitive landscape. They don't ask, well, why are they doing what they're doing? And then why am I doing what I'm doing? Do you have anything to expand on that little example? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and it's something I think we all fall victim to, even in our personal lives, right? The, uh, the fear of missing out, the keeping up with the Joneses, you know, the neighbor got a new car. I feel like I need to get a new car too. Um, and, and, the it's hard to do as an organization because, um, you know, just this morning I got an email, uh, you know, a, a, an outbound sales uh, rep reaching out to me and saying, hey, uh, you really need the software that I have to sell because did you know that you are going to lose 60% of your business to competitors? 60%. And then he threw some numbers in there. You know, if it's a million dollars, that means $600,000 is going to be lost to your competitors this year. And I just thought, wow, that's that's a really interesting tactic to take in sales to say, mm -hmm. hey, you should come by the software because I want you to be scared that your competitor is going to take your business away. And the fact of the matter is that I want my customers, I want my clients, I want you to be working with people that bring you joy, bring you happiness, that feel like mm -hmm. a great. And if it's not with me, that's fine. I know that there's so many factors that goes into play when people choose who to be consumers of, 
you know, even the grocery store that you're going. I like this one because the layout's better or maybe it's smaller. Um, it needs to be a good fit. And, and what's great about where we live in our country is we have so many options, right? We have so many options for everyone to really understand and discern what's important to them and go out and find that good partner, that good fit, that good place to be. Um, and that's, again, why don't go with keeping up with the Joneses, right? Think yep. about, hey, if I really want that big black SUV that the neighbor has, you know, do I really want it? Or maybe I actually want a Mini Cooper. Um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe I really need to think about that and say, what's going to bring me joy? What's going to bring me happiness? What's going to make me feel fulfilled? Um, and how can I make sure that um, I'm projecting that into the world? Because I think people feel that. People feel that when you're coming at them saying, be scared, you know, w- watch out for your competitors. They're going to come steal your business. Something yeah. that you do, Jeff, that I love in your mattress stores, you talk about the process that everyone knows how to create a great customer experience. That's Mm -hmm. a great example of that differentiator where you can really say, look, everybody knows this process and we do it this way for a certain reason because we're creating an environment. And that environment is really important to our customer experience. It's really important to make sure that our customer knows we care and we're giving them what they need. We're not just, you know, making sure that they got a truck in the back and they just take as many mattresses as possible. Right. Right. Well, thank you for that. Appreciate you recognizing that. Um, so on your bio, you, one of your, uh, things on your bio, which I absolutely love is, um, I'll do it just to prove you wrong. I'm paraphrasing from the bio. And I think it said something like, well, I can scroll down and find it. It said, uh, you say, I believe anything is possible. And if you doubt it, I'll do it just to prove you wrong. I love, love that, you know, kind of stand there, stand in the gap, stand in the moment and take on the challenge. Where does that come from? One of my values is the reality of alchemy. And that's really about not just change. It's about transformation. And so sometimes I think people get stuck in this. This is the way that we've always done it. Um, you know, I don't know why it's been done that way, but you know, that's what Janet in HR has been doing and she trained me. So we're just going to keep doing it that way. And, um, I love to step into that place and show people that you can do things differently, that sometimes just being able to see that experience can give you the hope that, oh, okay, we can change. We can do things differently. You know, we, we can step into the unknown to reach for a brighter future. And I think that I want to make sure that I can help people see that hope and capture that hope and that possibility. Um, so when people say we can't do something or, um, you know, we, we've never done it that way, I say, great, let's try. Let's go ahead and try it. Let's see what happens. Um, and maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll be great. Maybe there'll be great success here. Maybe it won't. And if it doesn't, we've still learned something. We've learned something about what doesn't work. We've learned something maybe about ourselves and about our relationships with others. Yeah. I love the, the word alchemy. It's uh, in my office downstairs. I have a hat that uh, I got as a gift. I forget. It was um, some group, you know, paid group that I was a part of. I, I participate in a handful of those at any given time. And it came from one of those groups that got alchemist at the top and boarded on it. And, it sits there at the top of my monitor to the right of it. And I 
often look at it and it's just what I'm doing. So I love, I love that line of, you know, if you doubt something that it's possible, I'll do it to prove you wrong. I mean, and I love how you described it, right? It wasn't like, I'm going to do this and then point at you and say, see, 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 you're, 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 you're making that statement from a position of opportunity, from hope, from really from abundance. Like, look, if you think this is wrong, if you think it's not attainable, let me show you how so you can have it too, which is really powerful. So explain for, yeah, give me the, give me the view of the clients you serve because you work with some pretty powerhouse companies. I mean, Fortune, Fortune 100, right? Johnson and Johnson, Shell. Um, so, you know, we're on an elevator. What, what, who do you work for? What do you do? Share that with our listeners. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a, a good question. And, uh, sort of the cliff notes is, um, we're systems designers. So when you think about a system, you know, think about your body. You've got a heart. It's a specialized function. It pumps blood. Blood gets oxygen to different parts of your body. You know, that oxygen's coming from your lungs. So organizations are the same way. They have systems. And a lot of times those systems we just don't even look at. Um, these are, these are discrete functions. So that's that specialized blood cell or that, that heart tissue or that lung. And they all work together to cre- keep the organization healthy and whole. Um, so right. great organizations, organizations that scale really well, companies such as yourself. Um, you know, with the mattress company that have good processes in place, that's part of the overall system. Um, so what, what we do at Pink Noise Project is we help design systems around revenue. So revenue is really just a resource. It's the resource that allows you to hire. It la- allows you to grow. It allows you to invest in yourself. It allows you to invest in your community. Um, and so revenue, we look at it from, a, from a place of abundance to say, Hey, there's a lot out there. If we have a great system to understand what you're doing, how you're marketing it, how you're taking it to market, how you're bringing your customers in, understanding who your customers are, how they want to buy, where you're meeting them, um, and then spitting that out at the end of the day to say, look, this is how much money we made. We can hire more people. We can reinvest in our product. Um, we can, we can do greater things in our community and, and refresh the local baseball field. Um, so what we really do is really look at how do all those discrete systems and functions within an organization, your, your marketing team, your sales team, your customer service team, how do they all work together around a single unified view of your customer, who you're serving, um, who is important to you as an organization and ultimately ends up being the lifeblood. Um, and we right. do it in a way that is really centered around the people in your company because ultimately, they're the ones that if you have a bad environment to work in, you know, you're going to go home and you're going to have a hard time with your kids. You're going to have a hard time with your pa- partner because you're bringing that work home with you. But if you can go to work and you have the information that you need and you're working in a collaborative, um, highly oiled environment, then you feel activated. You can bring your creative self to work. You can bring in your passionate self to work and help an organization stay on the cutting edge by bringing that innovation to the table. Yeah. Love all of that. So there were two things that I really grabbed onto that I think can carry us quite a ways in our time together. First one, systems, right? A cohesive system to have that holistic, true operational uh, view and opportunity around the customer. So 
for most people listening to this, you heard marketing and sales, right? And this is like the age old conversation. Um, the sales team says the leads are bad. The marketing team says we got the leads, right? So from your experience, from your view, I don't know that we're going to solve this today, but geez, if we do, like we got to do it. What's your view on, on solving that breakdown, right? Because that's a big one. You know, the, the bane of a business owner is marketing and then managing the sales team, managing the sales process is also, uh, very difficult for most. Um, how do you see making them more cohesive, making it work together? Uh, I love this question because honestly, this is where 90% of our clients come from. They are having yep. this problem, the marketing and the sales conflict. And the truth is they're two sides of the same coin, right? They're part of that revenue system. They're part of that revenue stream. And if you think of marketing as your brand and your value in the marketplace, your ability to communicate, sales is realizing that brand, right? It's saying, hey, marketing is giving you a process. Sales is, is excuse me, a promise. Sales is, is executing on that promise. And then your actual experience with the customer, once they've executed that sale, it's delivering on that promise. And, um, it's a feedback piece. And this is a huge component in systems, right? You got information coming in and you have information coming out. And so oftentimes what's missing between the sales and the marketing team is that feedback. Marketing says, here's this, here's the lead sales. I gave you a hundred leads. Sales says, None of them worked. All of our revenue is coming from the outbound efforts, from referrals. Right. Um, they need to give that feedback back to the marketing team, oftentimes in a, in a technical system, in a software way where, hey, Jeff, I send you an email and say, hey, intro to Brandon over here. You're the sales guy. I'm the marketing person. And then you're coming back to me and you're saying, hey, Brandon, he, he's not the right customer. He, he's not interested in this product. And I say, oh, let me look at those characteristics of that person. Now, when we have more people like that coming in, maybe I don't want to send them direct, directly to you. Maybe I want to communicate with them a little bit more um, through you know, automated means. Maybe I want to pre-qualify them, uh, maybe by doing a survey or having an additional field on a, like an inbound form um, that helps understand, are they the right fit for me, right? It's this all about partnership because yep. you as a customer, you want to be able to buy from me. And I, as a company, need to continue to deliver a product to you because if I fail, you're going to have to find a replacement for what I'm doing. Um, and if you, as a customer, fail, I have to go out and find a new customer. So it's a it's a very symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah. I you had said marketing is the promise, and sales is it just went off the top of my head. It's it's executing on that promise. It's saying executing hey, on the promise. Yep. Yeah, I love that. So for me, I, I, the folks that I work with in the industry, outside of the industry, um, I often say, if you're selling the way you did five years ago, 10 years ago, huh, if you're selling the way you were 15, 20 years ago, if you're using those older methods, you're not in a position of affirmation. Today in 2023 and, and forever forward, because of what we have in our hands, our cell phone, there is so much information. It's our job to sort that information. It's our job to make that promise. But if you're not in a position of affirmation to affirm you've got the right fit, you're in a lot of trouble. If you're not enabling your frontline people um, to affirm you're in the right fit, you're in a lot of trouble. So I think we're, we're really kind of in agreement there using different words, different adjectives, different ways to describe it. But I loved 
how you say marketing is the promise and sales is the execution of that. Just fantastic. Um, and it, you know, so if you're feeling alone out there, listen to what Kendra just said. Like ninety percent of her clients come to her with the same problem. You know, and I would imagine that's the, that's a, that's ninety percent. Whether it's a big company or Am I correct in saying like Johnson and Johnson and Shell is Fortune 100 companies you work with? Correct. I don't generally keep up on that, but I think that's probably a good guess. For, let's call them Fortune 500. I think I can easily say that. Um, but uh, so big or small, I mean, the problems are the problems. Um, so don't think don't think that you've, you're you're kind of in the spot alone. I think the entrepreneurship can be very lonely at times. Uh, Especially if your network around you is is family and friends who who work a nine to five job, uh, you know you're not you're not all that alone, you know. And, and even big companies have the same problems you do. Um, they don't always have it all figured out. Uh, the second thing you touched on a little while back that I referenced about two things. Um, you touched on community. So I think you specifically said about you know resurfacing the baseball field, something to do with baseball. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I love that commitment that a business has to their community. Um, I actually have a second podcast that we live stream for my retail business. And it's all about focusing, uh, as I like to call it, shine, uh, giving a spotlight on local charities, local heroes, businesses with a culture of giving back. Anybody like that doing good in our county where we primarily serve, uh, we want to highlight. I really believe that's important because I think if you just take from the community you serve, that's a disservice because if your community is not strong, how can your business remain strong? So Absolutely. maybe, maybe in, in expand that case, on that and what you've seen. Yeah. If, if you're taking and you're not giving back, um, that's, I think, what a leech does. Um, and, and eventually, you know, it's going to decline. Uh, it's, it's not a, a never-ending pipeline that's just going to constantly be feeding you. Um, right. and, and at the end of the day, you know, no matter where your organization is, whether you're remote, whether you have an, a physical office space or, or, or a retail location, a storefront, um, the people that are working for you, they live in a community. They are taking their paychecks and they need to take care of themselves. They need to pay rent, the mortgage. They need to buy groceries. They need to get their kids no school clothes. Um, they want to invest in a car, you know, whatever those things are. Um, you are contributing to a community, whether you recognize it or not, because these people have to live. And by the nature of our physical, biological beings, we have to occupy a state, a space. So why not take care of that space? Why not say, look, um, you know, one of the things that we do is, is I have a, in a, in a scenario, right? I, I've got a storefront location. I need to have people that are able to come and work at my storefront. So. I, by necessity, am looking at needing to have employees within a certain radius that are able to access that storefront. I can't, I can't hire somebody in Boston when I have right. a, a store in Texas. That doesn't make any sense when I need somebody at the register working. Um, and if my community is not well taken care of, if, if I don't have the right people, the right resources, the right talent in that community, then my business is going to fail. If, if I can't get somebody to come in and, and work with me and help me out and provide that great level of customer ser- service that I expect, then I'm eventually going to have to shut my doors. And that is why investing in your community is so important because you are always going to need people, whether you're remote and that means people from all over the world or whether you're hyper-focused very locally and that means just the people right down the street. 
Um, it matters where they live. It matters how they're being taken care of. It matters their experience and feeling supported and like they have a great network because ultimately that's going to flow into their ability to do a great job, to be a great employee, to be a high achiever and help your business grow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just want to expand on the community thing. It's really easy to think of it supporting your kids sports team. Uh, we actually have a banner out front that says Amazon doesn't support your local kids ball team shop local, something to that effect. Right. So it doesn't, you know, I want to just put for people out there listening and watching, think about community. So as an example, I use a couple of VAs, they're Philippines based. Um, I invested back in those VAs. Um, uh, there was a course on entrepreneurship that I spoke and, and participated in and I bought them tickets to that event so they would have the recordings to access for life. And to me, that was an investment in them because both of them are on their own entrepreneurial journeys. One of them's a single mother just starting out in that career and she's very good. She's very dedicated, but she needs some, she needs some alternate resource material. And that's a way to think about community. You know, if you're in the tech space, if you're in the global, where the global marketplace is your, uh, is your market, is your community, really think about ways you can give back. Like, is there, are there ways you could offer some free information, some free coaching into those spaces? You know, just expand the mind around your local baseball field, right? I'm kind of pointing because literally right out that window is a local baseball field in my town. Um, but, uh, Think about that. I mean, do you have any thoughts on on the global community aspect of things, on ways people can give back that way? Yeah. So actually, Pink Noise Projects, last year, about 40% um, of our resources were dedicated to pro bono nonprofit work. Um, so for us, wow. that's really important. I think a lot that's of a times we forget that nonprofits have systems and technical needs. And sometimes mm -hmm. they're so focused on their mission, which is feeding the hungry, you know, housing the houseless. Um, helping those in, in disadvantaged economic situations get back on their feet that we forget if their organization ran more efficiently, if it operated more smoothly, they're actually able to stretch the dollars that they have. They're actually able to reach more people in the market and, and more people to actually impact the community and serve their mission. Um, and so that's the way that we really think about giving back in our community is we're, we have these special skills. You know, I, I love right. that movie. Liam Neeson, where he said, he calls him up and he says, I have a very particular set of skills. Um, because <laughs> yes, we, I like that movie too. We yeah. have a very particular set of, set of skills and we want to point those in the right direction. And that is, you know, in all markets, in all areas, it's in our government sector, not just in our, our pri private, you know, tech startup kind of spaces or these big corporations. Yeah. It really is across all industries and avenues can benefit from more efficient systems, more better, you know, better operational practices um, that help them understand what are they doing well? What are they doing in areas that they can improve on? And how can we test and iterate to say, you know, we, we measurably improved, you know, not did, not, not only did we serve twice as many people this year, which is an easy metric to measure, but maybe we shortened the time that it took to serve someone from three months to six months. I mean, if you're a houseless person, imagine what kind of an impact that would give you if you had to be on a waiting list for three months before you could even right. meet with someone. And now we've been able to chop that in half. 
Um, so those are great ways where you can impact your community, great ways where you can think of how systems make a big measurable impact in how we live and work and play. Yeah, I love all that. And that number 40% strikes me. I mean, kudos. That strikes me as a large, you said, so 40% of your, uh, just clarify that number for me again. Yeah, so 40% of our operations right now are dedicated to um, nonprofit, the nonprofit wow. space. That's, I mean, that is very commendable. I've not heard a number like that from anybody. So that's really it's great. Just, we it's we really actually, great. you know, are, are working on a, a really unique sort of model to partner with founders um, or uh, foundations and, and grant makers who want to help invest and make our nonprofits better. Um, so yeah. that's a way that we can really help augment and bring these nonprofits the resources that they need. Yeah. So those listening and those watching, there's a number. It's a number. Okay. 40%. It doesn't mean it has to be your number, but your number shouldn't be zero. So, you know, you have an obligation to you, to your company, to your, your employees, to your customers, to your family. Um, also your community. And, uh, that's a heck of a number. And I'm going to push to, to reach that number personally. Um, that's big. I like that. Um, why is, uh, on the note of giving back? So I see autism society, uh, as one of those groups that I would imagine you work with, do work for. Uh, um, yeah, there, we had a previous project with them, um, as they were kind of revamping their systems and saying mm -hmm. we wanted to reach the right people at the right time. Um, with this important message and the resources that we have for families and individuals that um, have autism or are neuro neurodivergent. Yeah, yeah. That's one of those things. I, I, I look at children with autism and, you know, I, you know, cancer is up there. But autism is one of those things because I have a friend whose wife works on that space. And it, it's just one of those things where... It, it, to me, it's just such an awful thing to be given in life as a child, a, a young adult, an adult. It's almost like you're kind of trapped and it's just seems so unfair. Was there any, any reason you were specifically attracted to that? They just kind of got on your radar because of your company ethos? Uh, that's a good question. So Jeff, I'm actually neurodivergent and I spend okay. the large part of my life up until, you know, my early thirties, not knowing this about myself and really not understanding wow. why. I had such a hard time connecting with people. Why do I always feel not seen? Why do I always feel like um, I can't connect with people? I can't communicate well with people. Um, so going back to community, it's all about having the right systems and the right support in place. It's all about being able to meet people where they are. Um, you know, I, I have a, a my youngest daughter, Evelyn, and she's very um, sensitive to different types of materials on her skin. She only wants to wear certain clothes and certain kinds of materials. Um, and so understanding that, you know, I'm not like angry, get ready for school, just put your pants on. Why don't you do it? I have to yeah. kind of walk her through it. Oh, are they too tight? Are they too stretchy? Are they itchy? Do you not like them? And kind of help her identify what those characteristics are so we can find a solution. So rather than looking at it as you're bad, something's wrong with you, um, I right. look at what is the environment? What's the system? What's the support around you? And what are the different tactics that we can take? What are the different levers that we can pull to say, Hey, maybe it's really loud. Maybe you need some headphones. Maybe it's really bright. Let's turn the lights down and have some lamps on. 
Hey, you don't like to wear jeans. Great. I'm never going to buy you jeans. You don't have to wear jeans. Nobody said you had to wear jeans. (laughs) That's my teenage son who uh, (laughs) I'm hearing is uh, he's now night, well, soon to be 19 next month. And uh, he's entered the workforce and actually working up as management in in our local Chick-fil-A. But he was that, he was that kid that blue jeans just wasn't happening. Even uh, khaki pants just wasn't happening. So. You know, the, the Christmas photos and the school photos, it was always, it was always a conversation. There was always frustration a little bit until we better understood. As you said, you just kind of got to pe- meet people where they are. Um, I'm reminded of prior guest, Doug Stewart, who's an industry friend of mine. Um, he also does some Dale Carnegie training and has done a couple of TED talks. Now, he's dyslexic and, um, freely shares that. So I'm not sharing anything that I shouldn't. Just, I was kind of like to preface that in the moment, but, um, you know, he, he talks about neurodivergence quite a bit because for him, people, companies he's worked with in the past, their expectation is this. He's like, well, listen, I, that's a very valid expectation. I can't give it to you. And here's why, but here's how I can work with you. And kind of once we set that table with one another, I think life becomes so much easier. Thank you for sharing that, uh, that you're that connected to to the reason why Autism Society was uh, important for you. A um, couple other things you've said, um, either on your site or, or uh, information we gathered prior to our show. You focus on intended consequences through the value of revenue. And actually, before you answer that, I just you have a different approach to money. I can tell. Like, you have a different theory about it than most, and I think it's important for people to hear. So how do you view money? What's your theory on money? It's, it's a resource, you know, it's, it's a reflection of value in some cases. Um, mostly I like to think of money as flowing to me and through me because when I'm successful, I can share that success with others. Um, you know, it's, it's something that it just even thinking about it really touches my heart, Jeff, honestly, like Um, I think so many of us look at this from a, from a place of scarcity, from a, I don't have this, I'm lacking this. And our, our structure and our culture and our systems are not really designed to, to help people understand that money is a lever. Money is, is only a lever and you can, you can push and pull and twist and turn and you can do different things. Um, but all of that requires intention. It requires focus. And if, if I don't think about it, and, and this was me, you know, in my early twenties, I said, I don't want to think about it. You know, I just want to swipe my credit card. I don't really want to think about what I'm accumulating and how or if or when or why I'm going to pay this off because it feels good to spend that money now. And I looked at it very differently in the future where I said, Oh, it's, it's a lever. There are things that, that are here. And, and sometimes I talk about my money is like mattress, you know, it's thick. It's always there when I need it. Um, it's just kind of waiting for me to tap into it. And sometimes I think of money a little bit more like water, like the ocean, you know, it ebbs and it flows, but it's always consistent and it always follows a pattern. And once you understand that pattern, once you kind of see it for yourself, whether that's in your own personal finances, whether that's within your organization, then you can start yeah. actually playing with it. And that's fun. That's a lot of fun. What do you mean by playing with money? Uh, like I said, it's a lever, right? So, so if you mm-hmm. say, Hey, you know, what if I, what if I were to 
put a penny away a day and double it every day for a year, right? At the end of the year, it's like, wow, this this was a lot more than I expected it to be. Um, that that was kind of fun, right? What if I, uh, you know, decide to to split my personal finances and say, look, I'm going to keep ninety percent for myself, and I'm going to take five percent. I'm going to donate it, and this other five percent, that's just my fun money. Maybe I put it in investment. Maybe I, yeah. you know, put it towards a, you know, my sister. She loves cars. She loves cars. She likes to go out and and buy a car and fix it up and sell it. So for her, oh, wow. that's a great example of this fun way to play with your money that is a, is a great hobby for her. She gets a lot of joy out of it. It's a great experience. Um, and it's fun. I mean, think about money is freedom. With money, you can buy time. You can buy vacations. Mm-hmm. You can buy experiences. And you can invest in things that matter to you, like your children's education, your, um, you know, your, your VCs, uh, you had mentioned in the Philippines, you can invest in other people and that's yeah. fine. That gives me a lot of joy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a great, great practical viewpoint of money. It's a tool. It is a resource. Mm-hmm. It is a lever. And I think so many coming up in education that, you know, you see it maybe with parents and grandparents and just, it was, you know, work hard, loyalty here. And look for your retirement at the end, you know, don't overspend. There's a lot of limiting belief around, around money and, um, you have to respect it. Uh, money, I think is, is, is a spherical, uh, karmic thing. If you don't respect money, as you referenced in your twenties, you didn't want to worry about paying the bill. Uh, but I bet you once you got focused on paying the bill, the bills got smaller and smaller really quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And it, and it felt so good. It felt good to say, Mm -hmm. I have been freed. I've been freed from this obligation. I've been freed from this responsibility to pay off this debt because I bought something. I don't even remember what it was now. And, and that's really what it was is, is you're not burdened by that need to say, Hey, I got something now. I got this immediate satisfaction now, but I'm going to be paying for it for a long time to come. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, referencing my oldest son, I check in with him periodically. Um, like I know when he gets paid. Right. And I know about what he makes each week. Um, and he, he wonders how I know this. And I'm like, well, I asked the questions along the way and I just plug in what the equation mm-hmm. says. You worked 50 hours last week, 30 hours this week, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, he has an old, I'm interested to in know, um, what kind of cars does your sister work on? Does oh, like? you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> okay. Are they like, are they like, you know, American, like old, like Chevys and Fords? Are they like, they're like BMWs? fast sports cars from like the 80s, I guess. <laughs> okay, cool. Like maybe like a Nissan Z or something. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. I like, um, I like old trucks, like especially Ford trucks. So he has a 95 Ford. And, uh, so like I know if he had a, a, a repair that he had to do, um, as of late, I haven't done those repairs with them because of my, my knee issues going on. But, uh, so I kind of have a baseline and I said, you need to pay attention to your money. You got to pay attention to where you're spending it. And I challenged him to get the Mint app on his phone to watch. I said, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised how much money you're spending on food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to be very surprised. Uh, it doesn't surprise you now because I buy your food, but when you're outside of the house, you buy your food. And you're going to be shocked. And uh, 
him and his brother are like these workout monsters. They just, they're at the gym all the time. And what these kids eat in a day is shocking to me, but they say they need it and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I guess I believe them. I'm not one to speak on health and fitness for sure. Uh, they picked that one up on their own. But um, yeah, the thoughts on money are, are really smart. I shared with somebody, uh, the SBA has a program right now. If you have like a 700 credit score, um, you can get up to 150 grand every 90 days, up to $450,000 in total um, at something like a five and a half or 6% rate. I said, you know, if if you have a if somebody has a vehicle to invest that money uh, within their business or you know create investment through the business, and they can get ten percent, eleven percent back, like through a real estate fund, that's a fantastic program. And the person I sent it to, like, well, that's debt. I said, no, I know it's debt, but you're making money on the spread. It's just a tool. That's all it is. You know. Now, of course. I say all this, you should check how those funds need to be used because typically SBA has rules, okay? But, but it's an example, right? It's an example. If you've worked for 10 years to establish a relationship with your bank, you could go do the same thing. And the bank's going to have want to know, but they might have less rules, you know? Again, it's an example of money as a tool, money as a resource, as a lever. So I loved your theory on it. So I'll go back to where we started. The intended consequences, you focus on intended consequences through the value of revenue. Let's unpack that. Yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to money, sometimes we see the next paycheck. We see what's right in front of our faces. uh, And it's easy to forget what happens two years, five years, maybe even 10 years down the line. So how can I look at what's happening now? What revenue I have available to me now, what's coming in through through my pipeline and, and my sales channels, and how can I make sure that I'm applying that strategically so that I'm going to get the outcome that I want long term? Uh, so what does that mean? Well, it means obviously you're going to do some planning, right? Obviously, you're going to think like, hey, I need this much inventory. And sometimes you have a great system that helps you understand how much you sell and at what times, and you're going to have to stock up on a little bit more inventory because it would be terrible if, you know, Black Friday comes around and everybody rushes into your store and you don't have enough product to sell to them. Think about all the sales that you just lost. So your intended consequence is, I want to have the right product that my customers want to buy at the right time so that I can I can add to that revenue. Um, conversely, you don't want to get too much and just have it sitting on the shelf. And especially if it's something perishable, like a grocery item, that you're just mm-hmm. going to end up having to cost out. Um, so it's really about those intended consequences. And are we looking at how the inputs from one side of the house affect the outputs, how what's coming in on marketing affects what's happening in sales? Um, and not splitting those into two separate groups and looking at just one discrete functions measurements. It's really that whole system. It's the design of how those are interacting and how those are connected to each other. Um, that ultimately is going to create this larger thing that honestly it becomes a, its own, its own thing, right? You think, yes, on its own, a heart functions wonderfully, but it really can't do its job unless it has lungs and blood and muscle and you know, all of those components that, that go into that. Um, so it's really about being very intentional. So if that is, 
I want to get myself out of debt. I need to sit down. I need to understand how much debt I have. That's the first thing. I need to set a baseline and say, okay, if I want to get out of debt, how much, how much debt am I in? $20,000. Oh my gosh. That's a lot more than I thought. You know, it was $1,000 over here, $4,000 over here, $6,000 over there. Wow. It really adds up. Now it feels really overwhelming, right? It can feel like I'm never going to pay this off. This is crazy. I'm looking at, you know, just my minimum payments and plus my interest and I don't ha- I'm not actually having enough money coming in um, on a day-to-day basis. So we can start looking at that stri- strategically and say, well, can I, can I spend less elsewhere? Can I make more money somehow? You know, can I work an extra shift? Can I maybe not go out to eat as often? So those are levers that you can push and levers that you can pull to look at what your intended outcome is. In this case, you know, I want to pay off that $20,000 dollar accumulated credit card debt because boy, is that going to feel good. Um, but if I don't know, if I haven't even set a baseline right now to understand what is my debt, then it's just a pipe dream. It's just a, a conceptual thought that I would like to at some day point pay off my debt without. Yeah. Yep. There's uh, <clears throat> a lot of folks that don't commit to that because they're fear, fearful of it. It would require an admission of maybe a mistake, I guess would be maybe the right word, but um, there's no better day to address it than today. And then you just go forward. Um, And as we've been discussing, there is, it's not as finite as you might think it is in in regards to money. It is out there. There's a lot of it out there and there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, You know, you touched on something and maybe as we look to wrap up, we can, we can expand on this one. Um, you touched on, it, it spurred a thought in my mind about the cost of a, a, acquiring a customer, right? And so many people that I speak to, they have this fixed number, but they don't weigh the cost of acquiring a customer to the value of the job, the contract, uh, the merchandise sold. You know, they just apply this, you know, I spend 75 bucks to acquire a customer, so that's what I can spend. Well, that might be true for your average ticket, but what if what if you focused on getting tickets that are three and four times that? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't that number elevate? And what if your whole production schedule was filled with just the best clients? What would that look like for your business? How much more good could you do? Could you could you maybe raise the wage for your employees? Could you maybe get a better health insurance plan? Could you give back more to your community? Could you make more profit? Right, which propels all of that stuff. Um, so your thoughts, I'll ask your thoughts there on that scale of what you invest in marketing to, to get a customer. What have you seen? Have you any, any kind of examples that you can possibly share around that concept? Sure. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. So customer acquisition cost CAC, uh, is, is a hot number, right? Because mm-hmm. basically I'm trying to understand what input do I need to put in? How much money? What revenue? You know, what resource do I need to put in? so that I can get back out something. So normally we're looking at, hey, I have 100 customers. I made $100,000. That's X number of dollars per customer. Um, and we spent, you know, $100,000 to actually bring those customers in. So, so we've got net, net zero is, is, our, is our growth, is our gain. Um, so what you can start to do is, is I love segmenting and tiering because not every customer is the same. Maybe one of those customer, you know, you've got a group of customers that are, you know, this is a, a lower acquisition cost and it's also a lower 
revenue number. Then you've got your mid-market and then you've got maybe your enterprise or your higher level tier, you know, your premium customers. And so being able to segment those into that and then drilling down into where do those customers live? Where do they communicate? How do I need to communicate to them to get them the right messaging at the right time and in the right way? Um, it actually means that your customer acquisition costs can go down because you're being more efficient with your acquisition spend rather than um, just saying, hey, you know, another an- let's throw another hundred thousand dollars at it and we'll get another, you know, we'll get the revenue on the back end kind of a thing. You can say, look, um, I can spam everyone on LinkedIn with this ad or everyone on Facebook with this ad, but let me be really targeted and say, I only want to talk to you know, people that live in this neighborhood in Texas that drive an SUV because that's my customer, right? Like, where are they going for communications? Where are they looking to find the right vendors or the right um, companies that they want to do business with? And how should I communicate with them? Um, just like, you know, how you are going to tailor your communication style for your child very differently than for your wife, even if you're talking about the same thing. Uh, customers are the same way. They're smart. They're intelligent. You mentioned earlier, like we all have Google in our pocket. We can all say like, hey, am I getting ripped off here? Is this a good yeah. deal? Who are the competitors? Do I want to work with them? A lot of times, who's nicer? Who, who do I actually feel better around that understands me? I have a good conversation with. Maybe the product's exactly the same, right? So customer acquisition costs are one of those things that you can dig into and again, separate the signal of information from the noise of data and be able to drill into making better, more efficient de- decisions around your business and around how you want to grow your business um, so that you're communicating in the right way to the right people um, to get the message that you have across. Not just if you're a company that is doing business and wants to sell a product, but uh, in any area of life, right? Am, am I communicating in a way where you can hear me? So as we look to wrap up, I'm just going to say, rewind about the last three to maybe four minutes and play it back a few times because Kendra touched on a masterclass of where to point your marketing message, where to align your marketing dollars so you get the best return. Uh, Brilliant. Loved it. Loved everything that you just shared for sure. So Kendra, Obviously, we can go to pnp.works. That's your website. Well, not obviously. I should say it out loud in case you're listening to this on audio. I always have to preface that because we live stream on video. So we're out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Um, <clears throat> you know, but maybe you're catching this next week, the week after when it hits the players. Pretty much any podcast player you might be on, you can w- listen to the show. Uh, so your website's pnp.works. Uh, any other ways to get in touch with you? Anything you want to share uh, about your company? ways, something that you might have for our listeners, watchers that they can connect with you on? Uh, Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I I really appreciate it. You ask wonderful, insightful questions and have great content for your listeners. Um, I I just have to say, be kind to each other. You know, as you're going out into the world, be kind and think about ways that um, I can meet people where they are. Uh, Because when you meet people where they are, you're on the same page. It's like setting that baseline and you can move forward together. Love it. Like it. Like it a lot. Thank you. Um, Kendra, this has been a lot of fun. I wasn't 100% sure. Like, you know, I got the real tech tech vibe and I'm like, I don't like computers. But I loved our conversation. 
a lot. And uh, I really enjoyed it. And I think you gave everybody a lot to really think about. I really loved the, our conversation today. So thank you. Thank you for joining me. And um, we'll see everybody else uh, next week on The Big Ticket Life. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.